RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 368, The Ascent. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Hello? 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 Everything okay, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just making sure that both beers work before we record. This week's episode, The Ascent, the one where Quark and Odo are climbing a mountain. Why are they climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To envelop the mountain. And because if they don't, they'll die. They're just a couple of tough young guys with sinewy bodies, challenging death. You know. I, I see why they're climbing the mountain, because they're in love with the mountain. Well, before we fall in love with the mountain of John's trivia and our recap, here's a note about how to reach us. Mission Log relies on your participation, so that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you'll find us at Mission Log Pod. Tell others about us there, and if you're inclined to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful and we'll share those in a future supplemental. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, before we make love to the mountain, here's John with this week's trivia. You're never going to let that thing go about the mountain. I know. I've ruined you. It's it's tattooed in my eyelids. (laughs) So, sorry. (laughs) Well, let's climb that mountain with the ascent. Uh, Today's episode was written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Uh, A play, you might say, by Ira called Waiting for Cisco. Well, uh, okay, not quite, but he loves the play Waiting for Godot, and he had amused himself with the idea of putting Odo and Quark into the absurdist comedy and just uh, having them waiting. For, For how long? We don't know. For what exactly? We don't know. But in TV land, you need something a little more specific than that. So... The writers liked the idea of exploring what makes the Odo and Quark dynamic tick and decided to strand them. Classic TV works every time. The episode was directed by Alan Croker. Well, it wasn't that long ago that we introduced you to Alan with his uh, first Trek directing gig on the DS9 episode, The Assignment. We commented that he'll go on to do so much more Star Trek. Um, And it's interesting here to point out especially that on an episode like this, Uh, that Alan has a lot of documentary and nature film work under his belt, a lot of it from his home country under the National Film Board of Canada. So why does all that nature and documentary work come into play? Well, here we are dealing with a great location, Mount Whitney, uh, which is in the High Sierra Mountains right on the edge of Sequoia National Park. 
That's about a seven-hour drive due north of Los Angeles, well outside of the comfort zone for a weekly TV show, going off to do some location shots, not the usual backyard location like Griffith Park. Mount Whitney is the tallest mountain in the 48 contiguous states and reaches up to 14,949 feet at the summit. Even the shortest trail there is a little over 10 and a half miles, and it will only get you up uh, a little more than half of that elevation. The weather, for once, was very pleasant for the shoot. In fact, it's camera trickery and color timing to mostly sell the idea that our two stars here are freezing. They weren't. It, it was in the 60s and 70s. They were fine. Uh, they were pretending, of course, to freeze under that heavy blanket and that uh, silver coat. Now, uh, location shooting, though, always does have its downsides. And in this case, one that they didn't really anticipate. It was Armin Shimmerman, whose head is covered completely in prosthetic makeup as Quark. Now, of course, they were experiencing a change of altitude here, and he was extremely uncomfortable in the appliance due to the change in pressure. So every film set, fortunately, has a medic, this one being no exception, and that person was able to keep Armin alive, clearly, and well enough to do the role. Now let's very quickly talk about guest stars. Uh, well, there, there aren't any, though we do, of course, have recurring characters that we love. There's Max Grudenchik as Rom, and welcome back to Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, who has been away at the Academy. It's that old standard question on TV. Can two stranded men share an uphill climb without driving each other crazy? Prologue. It's a big day on DS9. Nog is returning home soon. As he enters his sophomore year at the Academy, field studies just happen to bring him back to the station. And to make things even more exciting, Jake Sisko is moving into new quarters with his best friend, causing perhaps a little sadness on Ben Sisko's part. Rom is already anxious, getting things set up just so, and is visited by his brother Quark, who brings in a case of root beer to welcome Nog back. Quark won't be able to stick around for the homecoming, though. Odo comes in to announce that Quark is going with him on an eight-day trip to Inferna Prime, where Quark is to face a Federation Grand Jury. Act 1. Odo and Quark, very soon into their journey, are already under each other's skin. Quark is trying to strike up a game of Fizbin, while Odo wants to get deep into a romance novel, to Quark's great amusement. Furthermore, Odo still won't even tell Quark what this grand jury is all about, since it's a high-security issue. It's going to be a long trip. Back on DS9, Cadet Nog assures Captain Sisko that he'll keep Jake in line as his roommate, and wow, does that not get off to a great start. As soon as they walk into their new quarters, Nog is ready to set up a daily cleaning schedule, then lights out at 2200 hours and the gym at 0430. Jake, who had visions of playing games and partying with his friend, isn't exactly sold on the idea. A few more days into their trip, and Odo and Quark are even more on each other's nerves. Every little thing, the temperature control, the way Odo smacks his lips when he eats, that annoying persistent buzzing noise that only Quark can hear is driving him crazy. Odo can't hear it, but Quark sure can. It gets louder 
to the point that even Odo can hear it now, and Quark traces it to something under one of the floor panels. When they remove the panel to give it a look, there it is, a bomb. Act two, they've got to do something, but what? Even though they could use the transporter to beam it into space, that's just the sort of thing that could trigger it to explode. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. They'll have to give it a shot anyway. And what do you know? It works. Actually, all of it works, meaning that they beam it into space, but an explosion was still triggered inside, which then has a terrible chain reaction on the runabout systems. They're losing life support and navigation, but there is a Class L planet not too far away where Odo can set them down, or bring them in for a crash landing, whichever. As they plummet through the atmosphere, Odo makes a comment that whomever planted the bomb had better hope that they don't survive. Quark says they don't want to mess with the Orion Syndicate. Aha! says Odo. So you are a part of the Orion Syndicate. Yeah, he didn't actually know the details of the case, just that Quark was wanted. Regardless, Quark says he's not a member, he just knows somebody who knows somebody, and then they crash. Hard. When Quark comes to, he notices it's freezing cold. Odo is already conscious and has assessed their situation. It's cold, the local plants are poisonous, all but two of their field rations are destroyed, along with their replicator and communication system. It's dire. It's early morning on DS9, and Jake wakes up to find Nog already in his workout routine. Not only has he gotten a head start on the day, he took the liberty of editing one of Jake's stories on a pad, which rightfully infuriates Jake. Never, ever edit a writer's work without permission. Oh, okay. Well, Nog hands over the weights to Jake to start his workout next. With chances of survival slim, Odo and Quark can only hope to be rescued if they get out a distress call through the planet's atmosphere. The signal booster has been shot, which means they'll have to carry the transmitter array to higher ground. How much higher? Quark points to an ominously tall mountain outside their crash site. Act 3. Their ordeal is getting worse. There's one winter coat between the two of them, one pair of gloves, and a heavy transmitter that Quark and Odo will have to take turns carrying while they scale the mountain. Of course, that also means that there's plenty of time to talk. Odo says he wishes he were still a changeling. He would have turned into a pterodactyl and flown the transmitter up to altitude in no time. Quark says, don't lie to yourself. Part of you always wanted to be a solid, what with the eating and drinking and love. Odo secretly wishes he were a solid, an assertion Odo strongly denies. As they bicker, Quark loses his balance and falls to the ground face first with the transmitter on his back. Okay, time for a change. Odo will carry the transmitter for a while, which means he also gets to wear the jacket. Checking in with Nog... He's really ingratiating himself to his old crew again. His work ethic impresses Chief O'Brien, but his home life is still a bit rocky. There's Jake just hanging out among the mess of clothes scattered about their quarters, playing Dom Jot on his pad. Nog loses his temper and says he can't take it anymore. He's moving out. It's been three days of grueling hiking for Odo and Quark. There are trees and rocks aplenty, but not even a single bug or beetle to curb Quark's hunger. Odo encourages Quark to press on, though, 
only a few more hours of climbing, then they'll be in position. But his calculations are off by a wide margin. As they top the next rise, they see their real goal of the highest peak is more likely several days of hiking away. Act 4. The hike continues. Every step down the uneven terrain means two more steps up. As they walk, the topic of the grand jury comes up again. There's something Odo doesn't seem to get that Quark does. Orions have never, would never, kill one of their own. The bomb was planted to take out Quark because he's a witness, not a suspect. Odo then takes it a step further. It costs a lot to become a member of the Orion Syndicate a fee Quark must never have been able to come up with. So this reveals Quark as a low man on the totem pole, far from the criminal mastermind he sometimes pretends to be. Odo is pleased with himself to bring him down. But Quark asks who's the bigger failure here, the one who isn't the big-time swindler or the one who has failed to take him down for ten years. In the friendlier environment of the replomat, Rom approaches Captain Sisko. It's about Nog. Something is so different about him, he even suspects that his son is a changeling. He snuck in to draw some blood while he was sleeping last night, but still no change. Sisko says that Nog is taking his work very seriously. It's probably just a phase. Jake could probably learn a thing or two from him about discipline. Rom says he thinks Nog could learn from Jake how to relax a little. There's only one solution they'll have to get their two sons back in the same room together. After a cold, poor night's sleep, Quark awakens worse for wear. Starving, deaf in one ear, but they have to trudge onward. Tempers flare. The hatred between Odo and Quark erupts from muttered barbs to vicious insults spilling over into a brawl. Two tumble down a hill and land hard. When Odo reveals his leg is now broken. Act 5. Quark uses branches to make a splint for Odo's leg, as well as a stretcher to drag him along, even though Odo insists to be left behind. Eventually, it's too much. Quark hits the ground, completely exhausted. Odo says that if Sisko or Dax or Worf were here, they'd never give up. And so, with his leg broken, Odo rallies and starts to push the transmitter further up the incline, maybe shaming Quark into taking those necessary extra steps. It doesn't work. What does work, though, is Quark finding his own strength and thinking about the future. Rom would get the bar. Nog would be corrupted by the Federation. He's got to live to protect them. Quark carries on hiking up the mountain, step by step, leaving Odo behind. Back on DS9, Oscar and Felix, wait, uh, sorry, Jake and Nog are reunited by Captain Sisko, who insists that they move back in together and figure out a way to make it work. That's an order, as a father and a commanding officer. Left on their own, Jake concedes the place is a bit of a pigsty, and it'll take some time to clean it up. Nog says they could go for a game, though. Maybe Domjot. It's getting darker and windier on that Class L planet the higher up Quark goes. He's well out of earshot from Odo, and the constable thinks he has just one last thing to do. He activates his communicator to record some last wishes. 
He says Quark's remains should be desiccated and sold off, while his should be cremated and put into his bucket and sent through the wormhole. Furthermore, and before he can complete that thought, a transporter locks in and beams him up to the Defiant. Odo is alive. So is Quark, who made it up high enough to activate the transponder. The two now find themselves in sickbay next to each other and connected to IV drips. Quark asks if Odo remembers when they lost their tempers, and Quark said he hated Odo. Yes, Odo says. Well, replies Quark, I meant every word of it. So did I, Odo says. And the two laugh. The end. For all of you listeners out there, we do a lot of research when we do our, our discussion and we do our review of these episodes. But the one thing, and if your ears were finely tuned to what John was saying, there were two old school classic TV deep cut references in his, uh, in his uh, recap of this episode. And I was laughing internally so hard <laughs> when you brought up the Batman reference. Some uh, days you thing. just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> well, it's a good thing they're always there to take you, uh, take you out. Because uh, yeah, that, there you go. You're you're welcome. And Norman, never carry more than you can afford to lose. <laughs> mm-hmm. The other, though, the other, I am going to leave uh, to the listeners' discretion to see if they picked up on your reference. It was subtle, but it was well timed. <laughs> And well, please, uh, please send those uh, to us in a message or an email and let us know if you picked up on that. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. So good. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of fun to be had with this episode. First off, though, and I know that there are probably people tired of hearing me talk about it. But look, I'm sorry. The dimensions of DS9 are still perplexing. Uh, the Enterprise D is dwarfed by ds9 it is uh, the enterprise d is like a tiny little christmas ornament hanging on the branches of ds9 right there are a thousand people on the enterprise and yet they hardly bump into each other you know pretty much always a holodeck empty when you need one you're fine right ds9 is so huge that the other side of the habitat ring is like a different zip code and yet Oh, sorry. There just aren't enough of your particular type of room to go around. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is, it, 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 ben is like, no, you can't move over there. I'll never see you over there. Yeah, because it's like a city. It's like, it's yeah. massive. You, you know what, Jake, if I were Jake, just go clear out a, uh, uh, you know, like a cargo bay and make it your cool bachelor pad. That's what right. I need to do, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a loft. Right? Like a city right. loft? Just yes. get an old cargo bay. Yeah, yeah. Like the ones the monkeys uh, lived in, uh, if you watch the monkeys. You know, they had that cool uh, urban loft. That's that's what they need. Yeah. You're full of references tonight. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's what I do. Yeah. So um, one thing, though, and, and maybe it's my misunderstanding of, like, say, how Federation energy credit works. But, you know, since hmm. Jake is the son of the commander of Deep Space Nine, why not just beam his stuff into his new place? I, along with Jake. Yeah, yeah like, here, like, yeah, you go to, go to the transporter, boom, here, throw that bag in there, that box of DVDs, uh, all my other stuff. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. like, I, I know it's kind of, I, I can make a little bit of a joke of it, but seriously, though, like, 
you could put it all on some type of pad, right? And that pad has transporter technology. You wheel it in, you put all your stuff on it, which is only going to be like a couple duffel bags, some books, you know, a pad yeah. or two. And Jake, and it's like, see you, Dad. See you uh, at breakfast. Yeah. Right? And yeah. boom, you know, he's in his new pad and he's in his new place. I mean, it, it, Deep Space Nine, it, it defines so near yet so far. So near in the respect that they all live there. If you want to go to breakfast, you know you're going to see everybody at the Replimat or at Quarks so far because, oh, sure, if you're on the other side of the habitat ring, it's so far away because this place is huge. Right. Yet transporters, look, can't wait for a transporter. I'm sure there's a shuttle that will take you from one side of Deep Space Nine to the other. Like, yeah. like the little boats at Disneyland, you know, they just... This is what this is what Nog should have done. They should have gone running around the station. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. See, you solve the workout thing right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some great lines in this. I, I love uh, uh, Rom asking Quark, uh, "Do you think he'd mind if I had one?" The the root beer. Quark says, "I'd mind." So Rom <laughs> just takes it without hesitation. I love it. That that's Rob. Like Rom still being treated as like you know the 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 dumb brother or whatever mm-hmm. but no he says he asserts himself in exactly the right ways when he he's sharp to. he's he really sharp he is yeah yeah and that's his strength is that you know every time sort of quark plays him down rom's the one to go to rom is the one who knows what's up yeah so i i found the root beer reference interesting since i remember they said root beer was a metaphor the federation it's bubbly it's sweet it's cloying it's insidious it kind of works on you and it wins you over yeah and now it's rog uh i'm sorry it's nog's favorite drink because that's how the federation has kind of won him over yeah and in some way with rom sneaking one for himself it's kind of mm-hmm. like winning rom over uh, oh <laughs> right <laughs> nice yes I, that's the way i saw the scene i thought it was like okay and then yeah. obviously cork hates it. it's like yeah take this human drink right yeah yeah totally so uh yeah i i, I like that but it, it, it says something it like i understand that conversation from way back when that was like season two i think that that, that originally that was a conversation between quark and garrick about mm-hmm. uh root beer um but I'm glad that this is one of those things that they don't completely let go where, where they say, okay, we're going to drop our commentary. We're going to drop our, our critique of the Federation here, but then we're not just going to be done with it. We're actually going to say, but there is something to like there. There is something that's okay about it. So I, I, I'll, I'll give DS9 props for that for sure. And definitely could give them props for Fizben. Oh, yeah. There's a reference, so if I ever heard one delivered perfectly without hitting the audience over the head, well done, DS9. Wouldn't like to see a rule set for Fizzbin, though, like in this? <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Look, I'm sure that some fans in the 60s, as soon as a piece of the action aired, they started to write down the rules for Fizzbin, and you just extrapolate from there. Maybe uh, Quark would have won Odo over. It's like, oh, look, you have two jacks. You have a half Fizzbin already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, know? yeah. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, he would have been thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and, and you know, I, look, I love a good road trip, and they say you don't really know someone until you've traveled with them. But can you imagine being in something the size of an RV for eight days with someone who antagonizes you and is taking you in for a trial? 
I, I mean, I would prefer to be ejected into space. Like, it's one thing that they live on DS9 together, again, so near yet so far. But here it's like, no, get in this camper van and go for eight days. It's not like here where, you know, the longest flight you can take is, what, 16 hours, 18 hours? That's, yeah. Ooh, that sounds like torture. So here's the th- here's something I thought was kind of interesting. So after World War III, after the eugenic wars, trashy romance novels are what survive, right? Yes. All of a sudden, I, I just, it, it just strikes me funny that, you know, you have these, um, it was kind of like when Kirk, you know, in, in The Voyage Home or when Spock was talking about, you know, the, uh, the great, you know, authors of the time, uh, you know, the, Jacqueline, uh, Suzanne, Jacqueline, Suzanne, is, is the literature of the day. Yeah. yeah. Ah, the giants. <laughs> the giants. <Yeah. laughs> and I, I love how they just mm-hmm. use, uh, the, this, this, the, the trashy romance novel genre as yes. kind of like the, the literary anchor for these types of moments. Yes. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yes. And oh, here's the thing is like, I was, so I was watching it with coffee as I am want to do mm-hmm. this episode and when 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 Renee delivers that line, when he says, you know, the whole lip smacking, he goes, how can you hear anything over all of my lip smacking? Right. I spit. I literally spit at my coffee, <laughs> which is <laughs> awesome because Odo doesn't have lips. Right. 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 It's just it's just flat. I, yeah. yeah. So good. So, so funny. Good. Um, oh, another great uh, line there, kind of a throwaway joke. But when Nog says to uh, Jake, we're going to clean every... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Jake says to Nog, we're going to clean every day. And Nog says, no, just the even and odd ones. <laughs> That's... I, I I will find reason to use that someday in my life. It's I, so I funny. And it's so sharp with Nog. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. yep. It was so matter of fact, like it wasn't even a joke. Yep. You know? Totally. Um, so I, when, when Nog visits Captain Sisko, I had a strange feeling that I, it was almost as if Sisko was uh, hoping that it was Jake sitting down with him, coming home from the academy, yes. you know, and, and saying, you know, hey, Jake, how's the academy? How's Boothby? Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. how are how are my professors? Are they giving you a hard time? Let me know if you need anything. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting to look at it that way. And even with rolling the baseball to him, like it's very personal. Yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. and and Nog is uh, sitting there almost as a surrogate for what uh, Benjamin wanted in that reunion. I mean, of course he likes yeah. Nog, and he went to bat for Nog. Sure, but I do think in his heart of hearts, though, it wanted he wanted him to be Jake yeah. coming back home. I I could see that. Uh, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, hey, not a whole lot of food to report in this episode, but man, DS9 loves its field rations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is just a, a running theme that we find. And and is it? Uh, yes, yeah, Chief O'Brien who really likes field rations. Oh yeah, so, he likes field rations. He does. Well, he's a soldier. He you know, he he's yeah. lived off of those yeah. things. So why not? I'll tell you what, though, when it comes to these explosion shuttlecrafts isolation episodes. Watch any of these, not yes. just Star Trek. Watch any show that happens, this happens in, and you'll find out that every single thing that you need to get through the episode has been destroyed. Yes. Every yeah. single thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Except like, so were these two jackets hanging in the same closet? Like, did it, was the explosion that specific that it destroyed one jacket? The other one, Christine, is right. just fine. <laughs> so, right. and, and I'm sure the yeah. rations were in one case. Yeah. 
But all right. of them, but two were destroyed. All but two. Those right. two are fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I kind of, yeah, I, th- that quite didn't make sense to me unless everything is separated within the shuttle. But that, that doesn't make sense at all. But by the way, that jacket, um, I immediately thought of the winter gear from Battlestar Galactica, OG Battlestar Galactica. I mm-hmm. love those so cool they'd be out there that uh uh the the tracker what what do they call it? the the land rover oh so cool yeah the land rams yeah and mm-hmm. it was the uh, the episode the uh, gun of ice planet zero boom there it is my man yes yeah for sure so good yeah. also they also were very reminiscent of the jackets the away team jackets that we saw in a future star trek series mm, yes good point yeah, the, the quilted point. Uh, design yeah. was really i nice. love those yeah love those are really nice yeah. Let's see, there was oh there there was a food thing in there, snail juice, extra shells, make it a double, <laughs> which was gross. Uh that kind of yellowish liquid in there. And but here's why I want to point that out. And I know that I've pointed it out before, but I love it when there is an onset practical special effect because they're so subtle and they move by so fast, but it, it's smart. It's a good way to do it. So in this case, we see the empty replicator window. And then the camera tracks with Rom as he walks up to it. And the camera has moved just enough now that Cisco's head is right in the way, about two-thirds of the replicator, right? So behind him, flash of light, whoosh, sound effect, and then boom, there's a glass that a stagehand has put there for Rom. You know, and then the continue uh, the camera continues to track Rom. So it's just so dead easy. It's just a little bit of timing to make sure that the camera moves at the right time, and Cisco's head is blocking that at the right time, so that you don't see a stagehand put that drink in there, and then somebody else doing the light effect at the right moment. But it's great, so fast, so subtle. It totally sells the reality of where they are. Yeah, you mentioned that when we were uh, covering the assignment, when mm-hmm. Keiko puts the cake on the replicator, and yep. then whoosh, and then it's gone. Yeah, because they did it twice. They did it uh, twice in a row there. And it's just, when, you, when you're when you aware that you can do something like that, great. Then you save on a special effect. You don't have to pay uh, a CG artist to actually animate something showing up in the replicator window. We all know that it's a little transporter whoosh, and then there it is. But no, in this case, you just get to carry on with the scene. Great. With speaking of the replicators, and, and maybe this is kind of like further illustrating the difference between Nog and Jake. So, how lazy do you have to be to not put your dishes on the replicator pad for them just to be dematerialized? I'm serious. I mean, seriously, the easiest thing to do. Yeah, yeah. it's like literally yeah. like putting something on a shelf. Whoosh, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> right. You don't have to clean them. You don't have to soak them. You don't have to like load them in a dishwasher. They're yes. literally gone. <laughs> that, that is the type of cleaning that I could actually get behind. Uh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that. It's not like a rule of acquisition or anything, but it sounds like an old Ferengi axiom. A one-eared Ferengi is only half a man. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. great line. <laughs> that yes. was super funny. Yes. Yes. So correct me if I'm wrong, though, but mm-hmm. uh, and maybe the fans will probably perk up too to this, but is this the first time that we've heard of the Orion Syndicate since TOS? Like, in in uh in a series you know that is a good question it might be it might be i i there ooh there might have been a mention of an orion somewhere mm-hmm. along the way but i don't know if there's been a mention of their their crime syndicate <laughs> since uh tos I, i'm sure that somebody can uh, can chime in and uh, and they'll let us know 
I mean, I know that in a future series, that will be a little bit more important. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But um, for, for this series, though, I was like, ooh. Yeah. A little yeah. intriguing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we see the USS Rio Grande crashed. Uh, and then at the very end of the show, uh, obviously the Defiant, they're, they're there to beam up Quark and Odo. Do they tow back the runabout or, or did we just lose another ship here? I guess we'll have to find out. I guess we got two and a half more seasons to go, but yeah, it's just sitting there as far as I know. And if they left it there, did they become eco-terrorists to a planet that has been uninhabited right. forever? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to check themselves. There yeah. should be an ecological prime directive. Right. Right. Uh, Odo lamenting himself, though, uh, in, uh, you know, during when they're doing their hiking scenes. I think it's a really nice continuation of all these different references of how he is no longer a changeling. Like, you know, we saw that in mm. the episode where he was chasing down the Dabo criminals and broke his leg mm. and had to go to the infirmary. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how Renee is starting to like, to, to put that in his performance, that type of regret. Yeah, and it wasn't really his choice. Like he said, it wasn't his choice. It was his punishment. But right. when you have godlike powers, it's, it's a heck of a thing to come to terms with when they're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do like that they're allowing this to to pay off with character development with him. Hey, uh, since we were mentioning references earlier, if the name of Jake's story was past prologue, was he around watching uh, the episodes of season one of DS9? <laughs> or, you know, did he like did he read his father's logs and he was like, hmm, that whole thing with that uh, Bajoran terrorist? Uh, I think I'll turn that into a story. That's I did. What he wrote up. Yeah, my ears did perk up when I heard that. It's like that's the title of an episode in our own universe here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was, I was, uh, I was a little, yeah, uh, surprised about how many f bombs they threw in this. Ooh, f bombs! Oh, whoa, yeah. whoa! Mm. Like Quark called Odo a freak. Odo mm-hmm. called Quark a fraud. Quark called Odo a fascist, and Odo called Quark a failure. Ugh, my ears. So no one told them life was gonna be this way. Nugs working out Jake's tired their love lives are DOA. It's like they're always stuck in second gear. We'll get back to our climb of the ascent in a moment, but first, a word from Express VPN. John, did you know that ExpressVPN allows you access on the internet as if you're from a different country? Wait, 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 hang on. Like, I'm not here. I'm somewhere else. You're somewhere else, but you're here. Whoa. But you can access the internet as if you were somewhere else. My mind is blown. And that's an actually a really cool thing about ExpressVPN. Because not only can you access the content that you like here very securely and very safely, but you can do so as if you were doing it from a different country. And that means you can access things like Netflix, because we all know that Netflix has content from different regions of everywhere, Mm -hmm. including different shows and movies, depending on where you are. And with ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries across the globe. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast, safe, secure, and you can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. 
Well, I, that really is sort of the important thing for me because, you know, we've talked about how easy it is to set up and use ExpressVPN. You download the app, you turn it on, you're set, you're done, and it doesn't affect speeds. You're perfectly capable of streaming whatever it is that you want in high quality. But what you're pointing out here is, is something that's really uh, key to the whole experience. So all these streaming platforms like uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, I mean, there are so many. And you can very easily, just as easy as turning uh, ExpressVPN on or off, you can set what country you are located in. So you can choose uh, up to nearly 100 different countries. So what I do is, you know, I particularly like a lot of programming from BBC and Channel 4, and it's incredible what shows then get unlocked to you just because you're able to change your location. It's really simple to use. All you do is fire up ExpressVPN, which, again, is probably on anyway if you've been using Express. You change your location, hit connect again, and then boom, go refresh the page that you're looking at. And whatever it is that you wanted to watch, it will magically appear. Now, the most important thing for all of the listeners to know is that ExpressVPN is available on every device. So it's available on phones, laptops, tablets, and even your TV. And if you use our link right now at expressvpn.com slash mission log, you can get an extra three months free. Ooh, oh, I, I would say that's even more important than, than, than all your devices. So two, two important things, all your devices and three months free. You're absolutely right, John. The two things that our listeners should take away is that ExpressVPN comes on all these devices. And if you use our link right now, expressvpn.com slash mission log, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's using our link, expressvpn.com slash mission log. So when we do our show, Norman, I, I feel like sometimes um, we get into this act, you know, the, the discussion here, and we're, we're sort of picking apart all these pieces, all these disparate pieces, trying to figure out what was the writer trying to say, uh, maybe did they end up saying something else? Maybe you go on a deep dive with a character. And then by the time we get to the end of our show, it's like we, we've boiled it down to maybe morals, meanings, messages that are something else, that, that are something kind of unrelated. But I, I sort of feel like with this one, we're pretty much just going to discuss the morals, meanings, messages here and then recap that at the end. Because... This is a show where it just feels like everything is worn on its sleeve. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. There, there's something sort of very refreshing about this where what you see is very much what you should get out of this. The idea here, just right from the start, that people should learn to get along and that they should embrace each other's differences, uh, that, that they should learn from the strengths that everyone brings to a situation. This is a wonderful Star Trek message to impart to an audience, and we see it very clearly on display with Jake and Nog's story, especially because they get the talking to from Ben Sisko. Um, but but I, I'm going to throw a little wrench into the works here, just for fun, because it's mm -hmm. our show and we can do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we also know that Jake and Nog have some real fundamental differences like oh i don't know uh, the way that they treat women 
when they're out on dates. Um, mm -hmm. Could it just possibly be that they are not cut out to live together? Like, maybe their friendship is strongest when they aren't all up in each other's business. You know, I, I know that I definitely have friends like that, and I cherish those relationships, and, and I probably cherish them more because I don't live with them, <laughs> you know? So I, I totally respect where this is coming from. I totally respect where Benjamin Sisko and where uh, Rom are coming from. And at the same time, I'm thinking, like, guys, don't push this. Don't ruin their relationship by forcing them to adapt to each other's habits. Maybe this experiment I, will play out okay, but maybe it will blow up in your face. I think that's actually a really important point to make because that's how relationships work in real time. Sometimes when you grow up with friends and you grow apart and some people leave and do things like go to the military while other friends, you know, they seek out their own paths in life. Those experiences that make them who they are in their respective universes, they change them. And when you bring mm -hmm. all of those experiences back, those experiences don't necessarily fit together anymore. You're not the same person anymore. So they've, growth, they've grown both, say, independently of each other and trying to capture that relationship's like lightning in a bottle. Because, yes— Jake and Nog, they were, they were like the ne'er-do-well kids. They hung out at the top of the promenade. They would throw things at people, and they weren't the best at picking up girls, especially Nog. And, but Jake always had his back. But yeah. they're different now. You know, Jake has all these experiences as a writer. He's expanded his consciousness. He's expanded his, his way in the world. But Nog now is a very regimented Starfleet officer. They're almost the opposite of who they should have been. Yeah, right, right, right. Right, so, which, so is, have, which yeah. is clever character growth. It is really clever, really smart character growth uh, for mm -hmm. this show. So I'll, I'll hand it to them there for sure. Yeah. yeah, and seeing them say as like the polar opposites of each other, like who they were and who they are, this whole experiment, they're trying to recapture the innocence of their past, you know, who they were. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to where we were before we separated and went our own different ways. Yeah. But that's not necessarily always the case, and... Now they're just kind of their their belief systems and their experiences are colliding. Yeah, in a pretty real way. You know, I've I've had a, bad experiences with roommates before because I'm a certain way, they're a certain way, and just because we went to school together doesn't make us friends. Right, and then then when you separate the roommate relationship, uh, sometimes you rediscover that friendship. Mm -hmm. You know that that happens too. Now, look, I, I love Nog's earnestness and his ambition and his adherence to structure uh, within his new life. It, it's it, it's kind of charming, actually, and it is very understandable. He is latching onto this thing that is completely the opposite of the way that he's been brought up. I mean, working in a bar and working for his dad and his uncle. It, there, there's something exciting about his, his passion for this new kind of life. He also needs to loosen up. <laughs> that is a very good point. But maybe they could have eased into that it, with Jake and Nog being reunited after a year. Just the idea that, hey, we, we've been through these different experiences, but we're still friends. But when we hang out, we'll then be able to unpack all of that, all that set of experiences that we've both had and, and then jake to his credit he needs discipline 
But then he's also living on his own for the first time. And that just happens, <laughs> you know. I, I think any of us who, as soon as we've left home and, you know, lived in a dorm or wherever our first place is away from home, it's like we very quickly realize that chaos sets in quite easily without mm. you even trying. And also he's lived under the, the roof, if you will, of a military man. So right. Captain Sisko, you know, by by just nature of osmosis, by living with his father, you know, his father's has very regimented times. We're going to eat dinner here. We're going to be with to get, with each other here. We're going right. to go on trips with each other here because those are the only times that his dad can spend time with him because of his duty schedule. So, yeah, it's mm -hmm. very regimented. Yeah. And when you take that structure away from somebody, especially with someone who has more of kind of like a organic thinking nature as a writer – his, his work is what's most important to him, not all these trivialities of life, like being clean or being organized or, you know, his, his work is his work. And that's the one time where he got really fired up at Nog is when he messed with his work. Yeah, right, right, right. So, okay, let's skip to the, the starring two here, Odo and Quark. Ah, mm -hmm. those two. The bros. They, they really, <laughs> they, they like each other in a terrible, dysfunctional way. Um, what, did you, what did you make of that laugh at the end? Because I, that is probably my favorite. Look, any time that Armin gets to let loose with that laugh is pretty much gold in an episode mm -hmm. of Deep Space Nine. And that scene said so much and it worked so perfectly. What did you take away from it? I loved the relationship that they, they explored. I don't think that they're quite there yet, but I think that they had these great real moments. It's like, you know those, uh, those tropes where two people are about to die, so they might as well just have it out mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to see each other the next day? Yep. That's what this episode was for them because they're like, we're going to die in this mountain. You know, no matter what we do, we're just going to keep working and, and keep climbing and, and keep hoping until we die. So if there's anything that you need to say, you better say it now before we're dead tomorrow. So they did. Yeah. And I almost felt also like Quark was Odo's Jiminy Cricket yeah. in a way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's because okay. I can, I can almost see like Odo say if, say if Odo wasn't, uh, wasn't taking Quark in and Odo crash landed on a planet. Yeah. If there was one person that would spur him on to keep going, it would be, or one thing that would spur him on to keep going, mm -hmm. it would be his hatred of Quark. And Quark would materialize and just keep saying, you don't want to be this. You wanted to be human all along. You wanted to hold Major Kira in your arms. You wanted to kiss her. You were angry at you know, Vedic Burial, and you were angry yeah. at Shakar because you weren't them. Right. And Odo would just keep, the more that he would keep arguing with Quark, the less he realized how far along his journey he actually made it. Yeah, for real. Right? For real. Because Quark was yeah. his distraction. Quark was his, this, this nagging conscious. He's, he's the kind of like the, the evil Jiminy Cricket, but he kept egging uh, Odo along to keep you know, evolving and growing and pushing and moving. Yeah. And finally, they made it up that mountain, yes. or Odo made it up that mountain. So that's that's kind of like where I saw the relationship. They they dropped their walls. They became real to each other, and that laugh was just the the release of so much tension and catharsis. I think it was just a way to to just kind of bring a peaceful end to their to their situation. Well, see, that's what I like. That it it, it is the cathartic moment. It is the release. 
it does then bring peace back from the, the, the chaos of what was going on before. But it's also sort of like this, it, it's this admission in a way. That, that laugh is the admission. Like we, on some level, we hate each other. <laughs> and and we, we have to we have to laugh about that or we will kill each other. But the laugh is also like, wow, it's ridiculous that we hate each other because look mm -hmm. at how good we are when we are forced, when we are put to the test to really see who we are and really see that we care about each other. Or even if it's not care about each other, it's that we we care about somebody, you know. When we're out there, we're actually going to do the thing that helps the other person as well. I, th that laugh just, it sums up so much for me about their relationship, about the episode, about that situation. It, it's kind of, this whole thing ties into my previous point, though, talking about uh, Jake and, and Nog, though. Y you know, Odo and Quark work together, and they have whatever weird relationship that they do because they define it you know they they absolutely define that relationship they they they're snarky to each other they're they're gonna you know verbally barb with each other and Odo will kind of sort of arrest Quark and hold something over him but we all know and I think they know that Quark's just going to be back at his old business again at the end of the episode that's just kind of the way it works if Cisco made them room with each other, <laughs> one of them would be dead within a month, <laughs> you know. But but this way, by by allowing them the kind of separation that they need, they get to keep the distance that they both want. They get to keep that sort of layer of safety between them and just carry on. And it, it it's it's charming. That's all I can say. I mean, it's charming. The the parallel themes between Jake and Nog and Odo and Quark, they're, they're pretty obvious. Oh, it's just why, right you know, there, yeah. It's right yeah. there, yeah, because each one of them, they can't survive in a way without the other. Each one of them has their own counterpart. And, that's, and I see that actually, I, I find it more fulfilling with Odo and Quark, to be honest with you, because they know that without each other, their life would be diminished. It's, it's when, like, in Broken Link, when Odo was melting and he was going to walk through the promenade and Quark's like, oh, so you are coming back. Mm. He, like, mm -hmm. tricked Odo into revealing that he's not going to give up. Yeah. That, you know, oh, because... Such a good moment. Yeah. Right? I love that mm -hmm. because Odo's like, hey, you know, Quark's like, hey, when if you're gone, I'm going to make... I'm going to take run of this place. This place is going to be mine. Yeah. Right? And he's just... Yeah. Go, like, it's just like the scenes with him here. He just goads Odo to the point where Odo can't quit. Yeah. You can't quit chasing Quark and trying to bring him to whatever thin veil of justice that he's assuming this relationship is based on. Right. So if anything happened to either one of them, they would be devastated. Yeah. Devastated, because a part of them would be gone. That, that's the beauty of their dysfunction. Will Jake and Nog learn to put aside their differences and learn to live together in peace? Don't be ridiculous. Let me know if this sounds familiar, John. I could name that tune and... Three notes easily. Yes, yes, I think it's The Odd Couple, starring Jack Klugman and the amazing 
amazingly talented Tony Randall. Yes. And and that's in the spirit of, I think, what this episode is. When we're looking at morals, meanings, and messages, we are dealing with a very obvious, very tropish, yet exquisitely well-done and well-performed version of odd couples. So as we get into morals, meanings, and messages, and to see if this episode held up in certain ways, how did you feel about this episode, John? Were these types of beats of these types of dynamics as obvious to you as they obviously were to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, first of all, by the way, I, I specifically mentioned The Odd Couple, the, the sort of the more famous iteration of The Odd Couple from its TV run in the early 70s. But of course, mm-hmm. the play is by Neil Simon, and there have been many, many, many versions of that since then. I find this episode obvious and full of cliches and has perfectly parallel A and B plots, and yet... It totally works. Um, We needed some feel-good lightness after last week's episode, which just pushed Odo into this pit of darkness. So, yeah, what we get here is some of it's a bit overplayed, but it it just works uh, on every level. I, I don't know if I would feel exactly the same way if this had appeared elsewhere in the series. Like, it might have even seemed too obvious if it came really early like uh, or or right after one of Jake and Nog's prior blowups like if you did the episode where they had their double date and then the next week they're doing this and moving in together I'd be like no 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 all right come on come on cut this stop this guys right. it might have still felt too obvious if we didn't have that deeper appreciation for Quark and Odo's just bizarre friendship you know but this it, it comes at the right time I think there is great location shooting here. Also great makeup on Renee and Armin as they get progressively worse throughout mm-hmm. the episode. You have good character moments. It, it's just a solid and, and really, like the odd couple, almost sitcom-like set of messages and beats. What about you for, for this one holding up? Yeah, I really like this episode quite a bit. And I think it's just because... When you when you have a really good A and B storyline parallel each other, mm-hmm. but also bring you completely different perspectives at the same time, I think that that's writing that's working on a completely different level. With Jake and Nog, they're they're trying to explore what they can recapture, and it wasn't working. Even with the intervention of of Rom and and Captain Cisco trying to figure out what's going on with their sons, I think in a way that you're seeing both of them both. Rom and Captain Sisko almost in a, trying to live vicariously through their sons and their sons' enthusiasm for where they are right now. Like yeah. Rom being, uh, or Nog being in Starfleet, which I think is a little bit more to Captain Sisko's liking. But maybe because Nog is so, he's so gung-ho right now mm-hmm. that, right. that Rom's like, I wish he was kind of a little bit more easygoing like Jake. So I like that dynamic. You know, it wasn't yeah. just, you know, that wasn't just solely based on Jake and, and Nog's relationship and, or, you know, uh, the, the problems that, that stemmed from them being so far apart from each other, growing in their own ways, coming back and trying to work things out. With Odo and Quark, though, I felt that, there's something there that really just needed to be hashed out. It's almost kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say this, you know, uh, insensitively, but almost almost like two lovers 
just having it out and trying to figure out what the heck in their relationship is going wrong Mm -hmm. so at least something can go right. And I think that they had that moment. I think it was the moment where Kor confronts Odo with the entirety of why Odo is just so miserable all the time. Because Quark loves life. He has zest for everything. Yeah. You know, he loves and he eats and he conspires and he gambles <laughs> and drinks, you know, and he is everything that ego is. Yeah. And Odo isn't because he doesn't know how to access his ego. So when Quark challenges on that, Odo becomes withdrawn and defensive. But he really agrees, I think, with Quark. Yeah. He goes, I wish I could go out there and sweep Kira off her feet. I wish I could be that guy. I wish I could take more chances. I wish I could get out of this restraint that I have placed upon myself. And he almost did with the founder when the founder was teaching him how to be more than just a puddle in a bucket. Yeah. Right? And I think it's what he hates about Quark so much is because Quark has the freedom to do it and Odo doesn't. Because he's put those restrictions on himself. And at the end, their laughter is a, it's a cathartic release of, yep, we got there. We got to the top of our mountain together, Mm -hmm. you know, and let's see where it goes from here. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, as you were saying that, I, I was thinking that maybe the only weakness here for me is just that. The A plot truly is the A plot. The B plot truly is the B plot. Only because within the A plot, you really got to have character growth through the ordeal, through the circumstance. I feel like with the B plot, we laid out the problems, but then the resolution was just, um, hey, now you have to figure this out. Hey, now now get together. Now you're friends again. Uh, and, and that's a little bit of a weakness in that. But... I think it's forgivable because, look, we know where we're headed. We're up against time. That's just the way it's going to be. doesn't take away from the performances. doesn't take away from the intent, I think, with any of this. I mentioned it in the last segment. Uh, to me, the strength of this is just that it is so wholesomely full of a Star Trek message here. And the the style, the trapping, is that it is this odd couple or insert whatever roommate or buddy comedy you want to hear that that's fine they they pulled from that as the source and then they made it their own at the end of the day though with any story like that it tells you hey we need each other and and we need our differences with other people in order to make ourselves whole that's what each of our sets of characters finds here um, and they uh, truthfully find that throughout Star Trek, with all the characters within Star Trek, this happened to be a much more acute telling of that with characters who face a much bigger personal divide. It's also a show about compromise and cooperation. You know, we're, we're better off when we take that time to understand where we're each coming from. Um, we need that balance in our lives between discipline and leisure, between work and fun. Because, look, let's face it, Norman, all work and no play makes Nog a dull boy. We can't have that. <laughs> we can't have that at all. One of the things that I know is probably not right on the nose when it comes to a moral meaning or message or, or, or what the message is mm-hmm. or one of them in this episode. Would you believe that it actually was able to mine heroism 
oh. as a message in this episode? No, I, I think you're right on the money with that. I would, I would love to hear what you thought about it. So heroism takes on a lot of different forms. And obviously with our, our duty-bound and uniformed Starfleet officers, much like uh, in, in the episode where Dr. Bashir and Jake go to the planet and you know, with, with that disease and Dr. Bashir kind of like, you know, he spurs into, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was the, uh, the hospital and Dr. Bashir spurs into hero mode mm-hmm. and you know, Jake doesn't. Mm-hmm. Hero, um, heroism isn't necessarily inspired for fighting for a righteous cause. Uh, sometimes heroic acts can be coaxed out of someone and in this case, it's Quark when he's taking the transmitter to the top of the mountain because it's the only choice you have left. It's the only choice that you're faced with. It's either you, you do or you don't. And that brings out a certain level of heroism. It's, it's Quark saying that if I don't do this, then not only do I die, but Odo dies. Yeah. And I think that if he really didn't care about Odo at all, he'd be like, no, nah, that's it. You know, if I if I survive, that means he survives. And I he's so much of my enemy that I don't care. I would rather kill myself and let him die than try and do the impossible and save his life. And in doing so, Quark actually kind of becomes a hero. Yeah. Because he's not forced to do it. He's not duty bound to do it. He's not obligated to do it. But he is, in a sense morally challenged to do it. It's a growth point for him. Can can I introduce sort of a, a, an additional weird way to look at this? Sure. In this episode, Quark sort of plays out this, uh, this very interesting thing that you can be selfish and yet be moral. Like we tend to think about the moral act, the altruistic act as being something completely selfless and intended for another person who, for whatever reason, can't act uh, in order to help themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Quark is somebody who is motivated by greed, by his, you know, his personal wealth, but also some some semblance of uh, Ferengi pride, you know, uh, what he is imparted by his being Ferengi and his family. And in this situation, at the, the end of this episode, his motivation is, I can't let, let Nog become who he's going to become without my influence. I can't let Rom take over my bar because that's my name. You know, that that's my project. And I'm going to be wheeled out of there, you know, on my deathbed if it comes to it. That That's where my life is, right? His motivations are, are uh, purely self-aggrandizing, right? They're mm. selfish motivations, right? But, but he still does the moral thing. The moral thing is I'm going to push that transmitter up the hill. It will save my friend. Well, friend in quotes, it will save my colleague. It will save this person with whom I have this strained relationship, you know. So mm. it, it's it's this really interesting way of looking at heroism or as I would look at it of the, the sort of the moral imperative where it doesn't just purely have to be the heroic act of I'm going to do this because this is what other people expect of me. Well, no, this is what Quark expects of himself. Mm-hmm. He's going to survive, damn it, no matter what. 
But yep. the upshot is he's also going to help these others around him. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that is a very interesting way of looking at heroism mm-hmm. because heroism has a obvious definition, the superhero type of heroism where, you know, you expect, you know, the, the noble knight, the white knight to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. But what I love about the end of this episode and the reality of it is that Odo owes Cork his life. Yeah. Whether he admits it or not. But at the same time, though, when they're lying in the hospital bed, Cork didn't press the matter either. And that's mm-hmm. why I believe the heroism there. It's not Starfleet heroism. It's not trained heroism. It's not being the bastion of upholding the values of the Federation. It was because it was the right thing to do. And here's the thing. Here's where I found Quark's true character growth. He didn't even ask to be compensated for his trouble at the end. It's a miracle. (laughs) Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. Oh, look, you have two jacks. You have half a Shabam already. And for more great Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Rapture. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Quark and Dota really missed out on the fun part of camping out, like singing Row 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 Your Boat, or toasting marshmallows. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.